Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product, whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global. Our guests will help you grow, scale up, and work smarter. Hi, Evan. Thanks so much for joining us on SaaScast today. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah, thrilled to be here and excited to chat. That's great. So before we get into the... um, the sort of meat of this conversation. Let's just start by just telling the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, your area of expertise, and what it is about your your career trajectory, your area of expertise that kind of fills you with passion or excitement. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, my um, career journey has definitely not been a linear path. It's kind of taken me in a lot of different directions in a lot of different places. But uh, quick context is I studied finance, uh, you know, went to school for business, was planning on being a financial planner in, in I grew up in Canada and uh, kind of took a left turn just fell in love with with design and with uh, you know kind of web development at the time WordPress and then you know that led me to falling in love with product and so that's really been the through line of my career um, you know it's 13 years of entrepreneurship now four different uh, companies two of them were acquired one's probably defunct and kind of dead on the side of the road and one is um, operating which is we build which you know we'll talk about it's a product design studio and uh, you know we help companies scale through uh, through product design and leveraging you know great design so yeah it's been it's been a winding journey but you know it's been uh, a fascinating one to you know just go from thinking I was going to go into finance to then you know pivoting into uh, to design and really narrowing in on product and so you know I've I've definitely fallen in love with just the world of of products you know both in, in design and just building you know lovable products that that are are really irresistible so did this this love of design did that start kind of in your teen years and your youth like when did it when did that start it it really didn't you know that's the the interesting thing is like I'm not I'm not a designer by trade you know i don't i don't even consider myself a designer you know i have a really strong eye for design really strong understanding for you know what what drives great design um but you know myself like i i can't draw to you know save my life you can ask our team we, we had a team retreat in uh, in san diego last year and we had this really fun drawing exercise we had to kind of like close your eyes and sketch and see and i had the by far the worst drawing of anybody on the team you know i'm i'm not a, a an artist by any means, uh, you know, but I think that's what, what fascinates me about it is it's, you know, it's, there are some principles and some, you know, fundamental, um, you know, philosophies that you can kind of learn and, and embody. And, you know, I think we're really at the intersection of like great, creative, brilliant design, but that drives meaningful results, you know? And so I'm all about, and you'll see, you know, in the stuff that we'll talk about just, you know, what actually moves the needle from, from a business perspective, because there's wildly creative and artistic, you know, design out there, but does it actually make a meaningful difference? Does it, you know, help users? Does it simplify things? Um, and so, um, yeah, so it was really a kind of passion that's been formed slowly and, and then, you know, sort of quickly over time where I had really, you know, no exposure to that in my teens. And, and it really came, you know, in my early 20s of just starting to dabble with, like I said, WordPress sites, it was building websites for friends and family and you know just sort of fell down the rabbit hole and that you know was a um has quickly become a, a passion and and you know that translated into like the world of design and then understanding oh wow this goes so deep and and really pivoting that into to product which came through doing my own you know startups um you know just really learning like how to take products to market you know how much design can influence it or make or break you know an experience and so you know that just uh, sent me on this journey with WeBuild of really wanting to just understand and master design and now having done it for companies of all shapes and sizes from tiny startups to, you know, billion dollar plus companies and, and publicly traded companies. You know, we have worked with companies like ClickUp who, you know, raised $400 million Series C and helped them do, you know, a lot of product design and growth. Um, we've worked with tiny companies, you know, that are pre-product and pre-revenue. And so it's cool to see like how you can apply those, those fundamental principles across really any scale or size of, of organization. And now, you know, we've led, yeah, companies that have thousands of employees and, and, uh, you know, mold a whole suite of products to, to really bring those things to market and to really, you know, iterate them. Yeah, that's, it's really great. I think what you said about um, it transcending the kind of, uh, I guess, barriers between, you know, for example, a, a late stage growth company and a, perhaps a startup, a smaller startup. I think the reason for that is because it, it's kind of an emotional thing, isn't it? Um, design. I think that's mm -hmm. what's really powerful about this. I mean, we all know the experience, I think, of going onto a landing page 
with a site and instantly feeling that feeling of distrust because mm. of their uh their their ux very Absolutely. simple just just yeah. i remember going on one a few weeks ago and it was a company that we were looking at working with i won't name any names but it was <laughs> um just the instantly like the color you know just made me just go oh <laughs> And it was deeper than kind of like, or it was like, I don't want to be on this page. Uh, I also doubt the credentials of somebody who has a page like this, you know? It was like this yeah. kind of avalanche yeah. of emotions immediately from looking at this page. And I think what you're saying about how it can make or break, I think it really occurs in the, in the early stages of first contact um, with a potential mm. with your with your product. It's really about, I think, I don't know if you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, but like, it's the first impression. I think a lot of the time goes into the de- is is the design. I think absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. I love that you said that because yeah, so much of it is is really just the the consumer psychology, right? And I, like I said, I studied finance, but actually the, the classes that excited me the most, you know, in in university were um, just the marketing and consumer behavior, you know, and learning like when somebody walks into a store, like why do they turn left instead instead of right, and where do you you know put the product placement such that it drives, you know, the, the kind of repeat purchases or the, that sort of in, engagement and, you know, just really deeply understanding like why, why do users do certain things? Right. And, and really yeah. going on, on that journey. And so, you know, I think it it's so true, especially in this world where we're just bombarded with a million you know notifications and there's endless array of, you know, tools and options and ads coming at us. Like you really just have to, you know, engage and, and strike people with that level of trust from the onset. And, you know, we work in, uh, you know, deeply in B2B SaaS and in FinTech. And it's, you know, it's important in in uh, both of those arenas, in, but more so even in FinTech, because like when you're dealing with people's money, right, there just needs to be an insanely high level of trust um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, reciprocity of like, oh, I can actually trust these people and that they're they're legit if to, to transact with. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I feel like design is it's having its moment. You know, I think people really have understood that design driven companies are, um, you know, at the forefront of, of, of the economy. You know, companies like Apple and Airbnb, you know, have have really embodied design principles and, and are design led. Uh, and so, I, you know, I feel like people understand design in, in a lot of ways that they didn't even, you know, five or 10 or 15 years ago. I think it's it's really uh more appreciated and has a seat at the table that it didn't used to have. But I also think that um, the stakes are higher, right? I think like, like you said, if you come to a site and it's just clearly lacking that, that level of execution, that level of just trust, you, you start to question like, should I trust this person? Do you know, mm-hmm. do they have the credentials? Are they legit? Uh, and so, you know, it, it can really even subconsciously, even if you don't really know that, like, um, you know, I think it also, when, especially when you're in, you know, B2B SaaS and you're trying to onboard people and you're trying to get them to that, you know, aha moment, like you're asking people to do things, you're asking them to take time out of their busy day to, to complete some actions and they really have to be, have some level of investment in, in getting, you know, through those hurdles. Um, and so I think, you know, we, we've seen like drop-off can be so substantial like you said right from the onset and then of course like at each step of the of the process if you don't kind of quickly win those those users over um you know mm-hmm. you, you can you can just have like a really uh leaky funnel so yeah it's it I, I found it really fascinating what you said actually about how um even in like a kind of uh like a store you know the mm-hmm. way that the objects are arranged you know how there's a lot that goes into the the psychology of that like you know, putting the snacks at the end at the at the actual checkout. They do right. think that's the famous one, isn't it? Is putting <laughs> at the end because then people don't feel as guilty about buying it, like little stupid little things like that. But I find it interesting how that translates to the world of software actually. Is like how do you it's not just about the appearance, but how do you organize your site in such a way to get people to the destination that you want to get them to? And that's really right especially in this current climate isn't it where like you said people are pulled in all different directions all the time and people have so little uh, look especially the companies you're working with maybe you have a b2b companies for example where people where their customer base is perhaps really busy and can't ever deal with something that's going to be a big hassle to use no one really wants to use anything that's a hassle to use like you said it's it's about sort of organizing the the um in interface in such a way that it's like, how do we get them to where we want them to get to that value moment as seamlessly as possible? And I think design plays a huge role in that, doesn't it? 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, a lot of the work that we, we did with ClickUp, but have done just for numerous companies now over the past, you know, I've been doing, we build almost nine years now is, is really, it's focused on, you know, it gets grouped into this concept of onboarding. Right. But I think that can mean so many different things. Ultimately, you know, to me, what it means is, is exactly what you said is how can you take somebody from initial impression to that aha moment as quickly as possible, mm-hmm. help them understand like, what's the value here? You know, how do I dive in? And companies struggle with that, you know, because it's, it's hard, right? It's hard to do well, to do it simply, to figure out, you know, in a lot of cases, like, again, depending on the complexity of, of your product and an amount of you know, upfront work that somebody has to set up. We've seen onboarding processes that have like 15 or 20 steps. And, you know, to, to imagine that somebody's going to go through all of that on the first impression, you know, is, is, uh, you know, pretty ambitious. And so I think a lot of, you know, what we do is really coming in and, and simplifying, but also understanding like, what are, what are the must haves? What are the levers? But how do we just get people to that aha, you know, and so that's everything from upfront sort of product positioning and them understanding the product. And they come to the landing page and they don't even understand what you do, which is amazing how many SaaS companies you'll just go to and you're like, I kind of think I understand it, you know, but I don't really have a grasp of like, what what do you actually do and, and how do you, you know, actually help? So I think it's like, first off, just simplifying that and simplifying your messaging and your positioning in a way that, you know, anyone who comes to your site can, can immediately understand what you do, get the, get the value in what you do, then to like get to that aha moment as quickly as possible. So if they sign up, you know, is it a free trial? Is it, you know, um, a freemium experience? Like how do you get them to see some sort of value and some sort of win such that, you know, they're not just bogged down and inundated with essentially homework, right. Or, or, you know, uh, uh, just torturous process to get onboarded into your product. Like, the the not only attention span but i think like um you know that that reciprocity like i said you, if you're going to ask somebody to invest that much time up front they they really need to see like what's in it for them and and how is this going to benefit them how's this going to benefit for their company so that, that's a lot of what we end up doing now we do you know obviously a, a ton of stuff but i think that's like at the heart of of any great products is is getting people in and getting them to um you know that aha moment such that they they deeply understand it and of course having them stick around it's one thing to get them there you know but then to actually like retain them and have them engage so you said uh, that you've been on people's slamming pages and not understood what they do i mean i think I've, <laughs> i think i've clicked on about five or six pages in and still not understand understood what they do <laughs> It's totally. a common experience, I think, for a lot of people. I want to return to, um, you mentioned a while back about design principles. Um, mm. Obviously, every company is different, and you must have to bear that in mind when you work with them. But what are the design principles, if any if any such thing exists at all? Like, is there, is there anything that, like, are there any kind of core tenets that mm. um, that SaaS leaders can can think about when when looking to design their, their web page or their, their product, whatever it is they're designing? Yeah, it's a really great question. You know, I think it's yes and. Yes, there are core fundamental principles and we should absolutely chat about those. And there's no magic bullet. There's no, here's the here's the framework that works for every company under the sun and you should go deploy this and you'll just, you know, be raking in, you know, billions of dollars and, and you know, sailing off into the sunset. Like I, I just, um, and so I think, oftentimes people can sort of templatize or try to, you know, just steal design from other companies, which I think is obviously, you know, there's inspiration everywhere. And there's, you should, you should pull from, you know, companies that have obviously invested heavily in, in testing and understanding, but I think it is also very specific to, to your users, right? So for us, that entire question starts from who is your user and, you know, what are you, what are you helping them with? What is the pain point? What is the problem that you're solving for them? And, and, tailoring the solution to that of course there's a set of best practices there's a set of you know uh like you said foundations and frameworks that can help you cut the learning curve on that but it doesn't matter the the size of the company this you know the the stage of the company every company has to sort of get out of the building so to speak and talk to customers understand their customers get -hmm. things in front of them you know and that's an ever-evolving process that's not a one and done oh we understand our customers we're good forever right it's it's constantly evolving and learning so i think you know over you know now nine years with with we build and 13 years of entrepreneurship doing my own companies and and all this like i that there are some things that i've seen that can help that process and can help accelerate it and can cut the learning curve substantially but it never you know there's never like oh just do this playbook and you're you're good and so you know for us i think the things that um, we obviously encourage uh, or 
talking to users, right? I think is is fundamental. Um, you know, really deeply understanding what their wants are, what their needs are, what their fears are, you know, what the what their pain points are. And so, you know, uh, I think having a, a feedback mechanism to do that, and and you know, we can talk about some some specific examples. I think you know, but also just putting yourselves in the shoes of your user, just really sitting with empathy, right? Like, what are they feeling when they come to this? If it is, you know, an insurance product, like there's so many aspects of that. There's, you know, protecting your loved ones, protecting your, your precious goods, you know, uh, but there's also, you know, so, so there's kind of like fear of, of loss and, and aversion there, but there's also like peace of mind and security, right? That goes with that. If it's, you know, if it's a productivity tool, it's, you know, people that want to get more done and, and ship things on time, but also like feel more organized, feel more peace, feel less stressed, right? So there's like all these different emotions that come up. So I think it's really important to start there, understand like what are the emotions that your users have and, you know, helping that frame the the sort of like design decisions that, that you kind of go on a journey with. You know, I think as it relates to like what are sort of, you know, best practices and and like fundamentals, I think humanizing you know your your designs like, like you said if you come to a landing page and you're like i don't really trust this it feels very like you know um just kind of maybe too abstract or too stocky or like there's just something about it you can't quite put your finger on that like doesn't make it feel legit oftentimes it's like i don't see myself in this in in any way right which is like are there any is there photography of you know real human beings is there you know like even as small as we've seen some examples you know um where sending a you know an invite link from uh, a B2B SaaS tool and inviting your teammates like by adding a picture of the person that's invited you, you actually can significantly boost conversion rates because it's like you see their face and you feel accountability to them, but you also feel like, oh, they invited me, not just some you know generic thing. So I think humanizing um, design goes a long way. Um, I think, you know, like I said, simplifying, and uh, really removing complexity is is of course it's easy to say it's really hard to do because it's it is easy to you know think of all the things that you need from a user and just put the entire onus on them but you know to really get creative of like well how could we get around this and how could we ask for some stuff now and some stuff later so you know simplification um, and then, you know, I think to your point, like just highlighting trust, like how do we show social proof? How do we um, educate them and, you know, kind of meet them at every step of the process? So if it is, you know, a complex uh, process or, you know, product that requires some level of context and understanding, like instead of just, again, sending them some help articles or just say, like, go read this entire thing. How do you sort of contextually bubble up like the context that they need at each step of the process so that they, you know, feel um, educated and informed? So I think like, you know just sort of that that trust that simplification that empathy those are sort of like foundational principles for us that we think about but ultimately you know it's it's bringing these things to market as quickly and often as possible and just learning right um and and talking to customers and iterating you know based off of that so you know you may have this like great intuition and great sense of what you think is going to work but oftentimes you know what we've seen is like our strongest convictions are sometimes proven wrong or, you know, um, we, we learn that there's, there's way more to it than, than kind of what we initially set out. So I think really developing that muscle and that um, process to, to get out and to learn from, from your customers is super valuable. So what are some of the, 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 the biggest pitfalls that you've seen people fall into when they go about this, um, you know, building their product, whatever it is, building, building a site, even, what is what is the what is the mistake that they make usually? Is it assuming? Is it is it trusting the idea in their head too much rather than the voice of the customer? I would say so. Yeah, I think oftentimes, or you know, or this illusion that oh, we deeply understand our customers based off of maybe you know a couple of really small data points. So I think companies will say like, oh yeah, we have user personas. We did a user sprint on user personas three years ago, five years ago, and and you know we're good. Like we know it's you know Susie the soccer mom and you know like Billy, the the builder, like the, these are our personas and, and we're just, you know, going after those. And I think it's never a one and done type thing, uh, you know, and, and oftentimes, you know, as we look under the hood and we really, you know, kind of challenge the assumptions there, it's clear that like companies don't have a really robust understanding of their users or they have sort of these generic assumptions of, of things that they think, or they've done it once and they, you know, talk to a few users and then they don't revisit to it, uh, revisit it for you know for a long period to come. And so for us, it's just this ever evolving process of you know frequently getting out of the out of the building and talking to customers and understanding them, 
um, and, you know, both in the form of qualitative and quantitative data. So that's, you know, um, I think qualitative is, you know, doing user interviews, talking to folks, just meeting, you know, people in your industry. Um, and, you know, we're, we're working with um, kind of an AI-based recruiting startup and, and you know, they, they kind of recently made this shift, uh, obviously, given, you know, the market um, dynamics playing out to into AI and, and really an evolution of the product to, to leverage that. And, you know, we've been working with them for already like a, a year and a half or so before uh, they they made that decision. And so, you know, we've done a ton of design and we've, you know, talked to users, but now it's like, look, this is an evolution. It's going into a whole new world. And so, you know, we scheduled, you know, interviews with um, user interviews with top recruiters at you know, some of the, some of the biggest companies and uh, you know, the Amazon's Netflix's of the world. And essentially, you know, just tried to understand like that, what the opportunities and threats and concerns and what their feelings were around it. Less of like, here's the solution. What do you think, you know, about this, um, you know, pre like pre-designed thing, just what did, what did they see? And, you know, really understanding the market better. And that helped us really go into this, uh, you know, kind of new, you know, product pivot with a lot more context, a lot more understanding of, you know, what, what users are fundamentally looking for. And so I think, um, you know, I think that's a common pitfall is, yeah, just thinking that you know, your what your users want, um, you know, and of course there's like the classic adage of, you know, if, of users wanting a, a faster horse essentially right instead of like a, an automobile and so sometimes you do have to sort of pull customers forward and i i totally understand that but i think oftentimes you know uh, in, in startups companies can be like well we just know what what users want and they fall you know that like users will never tell us to you know of what to build um and they sort of discount their feedback when it can be so you know critically valuable yeah there's so much that goes into it isn't it it's really really complex but i think what you're driving at a little bit is is that need to create a kind of continuous loop right exactly like if you create like a feedback loop it um it stops you perhaps from from having to go out and and make it a, a big pro project of it every 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 couple of years if you have that constant connection with your with your customers totally yeah you're totally you're always aware of how their needs are shifting right or what the how they're um yeah, how the needs are shifting, or or what what they how their how their perceptions of your product are changing, maybe, or how they're being drawn towards other competitors or something like that. Um, so I was wondering, like, how how is that possible? How do we how do we uh, implement a system where we're always we've always got an ear to our customers? Um, mm. yeah. You know, rather than I'm not just talking about the, the sort of initial research that you would do, but it, how do you sort of always uh, yeah maintain this loop? I suppose. Yeah, I love the analogy of a, of a loop because I, you know, I think that's a really powerful visual of how this works. It is ultimately a flywheel, right? Like the the more that you talk to customers, the more feedback you get, the more ideas you have. You know, the the better you know that you can bring this to market, the and that you get things in front of users before you spend enormous amounts of time and money to go build things that ultimately aren't what users want. And so you save money and you have more resources to do this faster and better. And it, you know, it just creates this this product flywheel where you you're just really striking a chord. And like you said, it becomes this less like really time intensive and cost intensive exercise you have to do. And it's just, you know, making these kind of small iterations and small bets frequently over time, but it takes time to sort of build that engine and build that muscle. And so, you know, I think there, there are a few sort of like, there's, there's a lot of different ways to go about it. I think fundamentally, you know, it can get overcomplicated in terms of like how to really do, you know, user research. And, and there's obviously companies that do it, you know, massively at scale, but just sitting down and talking to customers, like I said, um, and having that could be like both, you know, really engaged active customers, which are really, you know, advocates. So you could look up, you know, run a, a query and see like who's really active in our database and who's, you know, uses the product, or you may have like a beta program that, that you can sort of like feature flag some stuff and get early feedback from, you know, from a, cohort of users, or it may just be, you know, doing things like even outside of your user base, you can even just do a prototype, for example, in Figma, right? And, and their prototyping just continues to get better with conditional logic and so much stuff that you don't ever have to build anything in, in staging or even in production. Um, you can just really, you know, build a robust prototype and run it in front of, you know, folks. And there's things like user testing, usability hub, there's there's an enormous amount of resources out there that you can run it in front of, you know, users that are, are similar lookalikes to, you know, to what your users may be. And so for us, I think it's, you know, it's oftentimes like strong conviction, you know, and strong opinions loosely held, right? Like we 
we know there's more than one way to sort of skin a cat. And we essentially will come up with like two or three strong hypotheses of, of potential paths that we could go down. And then we really, you know, try to stress test those um, to, to really validate. Of course, then there's like, okay, we have conviction around one of these paths um, through talking to users. And we then do put in the, the engineering work and the, you know, the, the time to implement and bring that, you know, to market. And now you deploy it and, and, you know, again, you can sort of like maybe test that you can feature flag it and show it to just, you know, uh, a smaller cohort of users, you can deploy it to everyone. And so then th there's a bunch of data points that can come out of that. There's um, obviously, you know, quantitative data in the form of product analytics, whether using, you know, mixed panel, heap, pendo, um, you know, there's hot jar, there's full story, there's things where you can actually watch users go through it, you know, click maps and and all that stuff um, to, to really see that you can obviously track like against a specific conversion goal of how many people are actually using the feature, how many people are, are completing this action that we want them to complete, right? So there's there's a vast amount of quantitative data, but then there's also qualitative, you know, and I think that can be in the form of customer success and customer, um, you know, support of, do we see an uptick or a decrease in like, you know, customer confusion, customer concerns? They're like, oh, you know, we had all this confusion around something and now that's dissipated and we don't, hear about that anymore and so i think you know to really get this feedback loop it's not like one central place i think there's a bunch of different data points there's you know talking to customers both internally and externally i think there's um implementing you know uh quantitative tools and, and metrics and analytics you know there's customer success and having a pulse on that and so you know oftentimes when we work uh with clients it's getting all of those people in a room in a, in a way that like we're all sharing what these kind of common themes are in these common patterns of you know what the opportunities are and what the challenges are, and then really ranking those based on like impact and effort, right? Like, well, out of all of those things, because sometimes you know one user will say something and, and you can really run after that, but it's not a large enough you know sample set to really be representative. But I think it's like, what are the common themes that emerge? What are the common patterns? And then which ones have the potential for the greatest impact? Um, and weighing that with the amount of effort, right? If you know that like that's going to take an enormous amount of effort to solve that thing, but like ultimately it's not really going to move the needle versus, oh, if we made this one change, it's clear like, you know, that that's actually a pretty minimal thing to implement. It could have a massive impact. And so, you know, we just are constantly reevaluating and, and maintaining a backlog. This could be as simple as like, you've got it in an Excel sheet, right? Or, you know, a, a Trello board, it could be, um, you know, as robust as using, you know, um, Jira or, you know, product planning tools to to ultimately like to to do that. But I think it's just constantly looking at like, what is the next biggest opportunity that um, will help us sort of move, you know, move forward in and like drive the biggest amount of change and, and just constantly doing that process over and over. So we're, you know, we're always like reprioritizing and re-evaluating. Um, it's not like we have this six month, you know, roadmap, which I think is important to have a vision of where you're going to go, um, but revisiting it early and often. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I, I really like that. I think, do you think there's something in it as well of like, if you just create that kind of um, culture relationship with your customers, where they do just feel that they can come to you and ask about things, you know, in the first place, like, I think that that is, that's a great way, isn't it? I think to create that kind of um, that loop that I, that I talked about as well. I think if you set up yeah. customers, but maybe that's through your, your customer success function. When yeah, you sort of bet on the ball with um at every point of their journey to to see are you okay? Do you need any help with this with that? I think you create a kind of culture where people feel happy to to tell you all the time or to constantly give you feedback. Is totally uh, that's another thing I think that a lot of people I think that's might might be the value of for example of customer success or something like that kind of function is just right create that impression that you can we're the kind of people who are open to feedback and will listen to you at all times you know i think once you exactly that i think you don't have to work that hard anymore to get the feedback you know perhaps. right totally yeah i mean uh, of course like if you it, i mean i'm sure we've all been in this experience where you've submitted a feature request like oh it'd be amazing if you did x and they're like yep we'll add it to the roadmap thanks and yeah. you're like <laughs> okay and then it never happens right and you're like versus an experience where you say oh man it would be life-changing if you could do this and they say great we're chatting with engineering and then they follow up with you two weeks later hey that thing you asked for we did it and you're like holy shit i just influenced the you know the trajectory uh, yeah. of the and yeah. it, 
you feel invested and then you're an evangelist and you're like, oh my goodness. And imagine doing that over and over and over, you know, and we've even seen um, some clients and some companies really lean on that of ha having like a democratic roadmap, you know, where they allow, they allow the customers to sort of like upvote and, you know, help prioritize what should be built next. And, and, you know, I think like there's obviously challenges to the, to that approach as well, you know, or trade-offs, I guess is, is a better word, but, um, but ultimately I think, like you said, the spirit of just, if customers know that you're open to that and that you're driven by customer feedback and you communicate in that way, um, you know, we, yeah, we've, we've seen clients like even highlight, oh, we shipped this feature that was suggested by user name XYZ or whatever, you know, and it's cool to be like, oh, wow, they're actually like giving attribution to them and, and celebrating them for, for doing that. So I think, yeah, I think it really comes down to like both internally creating a culture of, of feedback and just welcoming feedback, right? Like, let's build the mechanisms and the tools and just embrace that like feedback is inherently a part of the process it's going to make us better stronger like the more feedback we can get the better right and i think some companies like and some designers you know and product folks can get a little precious about their ideas or be offended if they get feedback or you know it it can it can feel deeply personal um but i think you know the more that you can flip that on your head and we've had to you know sort of reframe this for for ourselves and our team like feedback's amazing it helps us do better it's not a negative thing you know it, it's it's a great opportunity for us um and then you know um and then doing it externally like you said with your with your customers so they feel that as well and they know that like when i give suggestions they're not just going to you know fall on deaf ears they're going to go into you know action maybe not immediately not every time you know, it, you have to obviously weigh the the consequences of just doing, like I said, jumping at every person who has an idea. But I think, you know, if you can really encourage people to to suggest and give feedback and you can, you know, show that you're a customer led and customer driven company, I think, you know, those are those have been like the most successful companies that we've seen. And, you know, and it, it's so easy to day and it's way harder to do like it's it's so easy to say talk to customers but of course you're busy and you've got fundraising and you've got you know a whole you've got team meetings and you've got you know one-on-ones and you've got all these things and like but to actually just sit down and talk to customers which is why it often becomes this like thing that p companies do in spurts they just say like oh yeah we're doing this at the beginning and maybe after a few years uh, we're hitting some pain points or some plateaus maybe we have to go talk to people again but i think the more that you can just slot that in and just have that that rigorous you know muscle of like look well, this is just something we do we just we talk to customers all the time even if there's no like immediate pressing things we just understand like what what's going well for them what's you know what's um working it it's uh it's fascinating you know and i think there's so much that's that's within that and i'm going to totally you know, butcher this this quote, but there's there's essentially a quote that says um, something like seventy eight percent. I can I can find the the exact um, percentage, but uh, of usability issues can be solved by talking to just five customers. And so it's not like you have to go out and talk to hundreds of customers and you know and get this massive data set and sift through it and have a full time user researcher on staff and you know have you know data science folks like running algorithms in the background. It's really just go talk to a few people and and really sh even show them, you know, early prototypes and stuff, you can catch a lot of, um, you know, of things just in doing that. It's amazing. Even for us, we've been doing this so long now where when we just sit down and talk to customers and actually see them use it and actually talk to them and watch them. It is the most illuminating and, and eye-opening thing ever, right? And so I think it's like, yeah, um, it it's, can't stress the importance of it enough. No, absolutely. No, I think I think it's a lesson we can all learn. And also, I think it's um, you. You hit on this a little bit before it, it, that um, having that ability to sift through and recognize what what is the feedback that needs to be implemented. Sometimes, as well, I think you it, it's not it's not simply a case is it of just taking everything on board. It's being able to find what really is the pertinent data here. Right, that's actually going to help us to solve multiple problems for for the greatest number of people um rather than just exactly yeah i think that's a that's a difficult skill i think it might be hard for some people getting that trap maybe of being like this person asked for this we need to do this this person asked for this, we need to do that you know it's kind of like yeah it's a game of whack-a-mole you're just trying to like yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like it must be challenging i can imagine to sort of be able to actually determine what is the useful data here you know but i guess that's sure. part, of, yeah. part of your research skills isn't it 
Um, yeah, yeah. And I think, you again, you just sort of learn that over time and you build that muscle of, of really discerning like the impact, right? Like, yes, yeah, so, okay, this person wants to make this change. Like you said, what's the impact to the greatest amount of users and which which one out of, let's say there's 20 things we could do is going to have, you know, in, in our assumption, you know, the, the biggest impact and then you go test that. And of course, you know, depending on how many resources and all that you have, like um, you can maybe tackle a few, you know, concurrently or simultaneously but oftentimes for you know early stage scrappier companies like you really have to be ruthless in in which ones you you choose and you prioritize and and i think like that's one of the biggest values that we help bring to companies is is not just executing on the design you know i think like nowadays design is becoming commoditized in those ways and and you know there's the rise of ai tools and all these things that threaten to you know to impact our um our work but i i think it's ultimately like there will never be um a a true sense of like what should we build next and what is going to be most valuable like that's always going to be an insanely valuable you know question to answer for for product companies at, at any stage of like what's going to you know really drive forward and similarly like what should we stop supporting right it's not always like what's the next feature we need to add and what's this it, you know i think um it's so easy to get stuck in like more features and more it's better but like also you know a big thing that we also challenge is what features can you remove and which things can you cut out that aren't really delivering value or maybe even diluting, you know, the, the product message and the, and the product's value, because, you know, it, I, I love the sort of, you know, 37 signals now base camp uh, quote of, you know, build um, like it's, it's better to build half of an amazing product than a half-assed product. Right. And I think so yeah. many companies try to build like, everything to everyone and try to just do it all because they feel like they have to just compete on features when it's like no you could just narrow in on what is the one or two or three or five things that you do remarkably well and just own those you know and not try like to a, like a minimum viable product a little bit i suppose like if you're sort of making that kind of thing where you just focus in on yeah a little bit yeah but i but i think you know mvps and all that can get really stuck in this mindset of like oh yeah you do that when you're really early stage and mm-hmm. then and then you just keep adding features from now until forever right and i think it's like Yes, but there's there's really this like of course you need to listen to users and you need to evolve the product and you need to add more stuff. But there's also this you know side of well each feature that you have yeah adds complexity, adds support costs, adds engineering costs, adds all of this like and does it really serve you know the the core use case of what users really deeply care about and like maybe you can do these twelve things but maybe you should just do three of those and do them extraordinarily well and just it you know endlessly invest in, in those experiences. And so, um, you know, I think that has been a lesson for me entrepreneurially and that I've seen over time is like just really doubling down on the things that um, are working and and giving them, you know, again, I think when you look at scarce resources and you try to think about, wow, we're trying to do user interviews across 50 different, you know, facets of the product and trying to manage all of this, like, um, but there's really three or four or five that drive the vast 80% of the the revenue, like how do we just drill in on those ones and just stress test, you know, the living bliss out of them in a ways of like doing A-B testing, doing, you know, this, um, you know, iterative process around around those. And of course, like once you've sort of squeezed all, all of the opportunities out of those that you can, like maybe then you move on to others. But I see so many companies like sort of lose momentum by diffusion, right? And and by a lack of focus rather than the the opposite of like they focus too much and it you, they didn't serve enough of a use case. And so, you know, I think that's another big kind of pitfall is like companies trying to be everything to everyone. And you know, I think ClickUp's a really interesting example because they're an all-in-one productivity suite tool, right? And and we, that's a challenge for them in some ways. There's so much you can do from from docs to whiteboards to task management to, you know, like you can run your entire business off of it. Um but I think, you know, ways that they sort of help mitigate that as well as personalizing experiences. And so that was a lot of the work that we did around um, around onboarding is, you know, less of like just this generic onboarding and more like, okay, if you're coming in from a marketing perspective, you're going to have different goals than an engineering leader that has different goals than, you know, just a, a, a product manager. And so I think... Um, that's another way is it's not that you can only pick like one set of users that you serve now and forever. You can have, you can have and support multiple user um, bases or user personas, but you know, you should ultimately personalize the experience to them in a way that, you know, really serves them. And it's not just sort of this one size fits all approach uh, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. I think probably that's, I was going to say that I think probably one of the greatest, the biggest mistakes you see people make, is probably just cluttering things up too much. 
just yeah. off too much. And I think what happens then is, is you lose your identity a little bit sometimes, don't mm-hmm. you? One of the things we haven't mentioned that much is, is your kind of brand identity. Yeah. Um, and how a solution that you're offering kind of reflects that and how your UX or UI reflects that as well. Right. That's um that's a big thing as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think like so often companies when they come in, they're like and, and work with us, for example, they're like, we just need to fix all these, you know, product things over here. But it's like you said, it starts at the beginning. It starts at that first impression. And that really is driven by brand, right? And brand can be this like elusive, you know, ethereal thing of like, what is brand, right? But it's ultimately like, how how do people feel about your company when they come to you and they come to your site and they they land on there like do they have a feeling of like frost? Do they have a feeling of excitement? Do they have a feeling of understanding or is it confusion? Is it distrust? Is it, you know, just like a, a, a yuck feeling, you know, the colors you've used or the, you know, <laughs> photography or things. And so, um, yeah, so I think like that, that is really a, a fundamental piece. And we've, we've been doubling down a, a lot there recently with, with clients is really spending time digging in, into brand in ways that, you know, I think um, it can feel sort of like, less quantifiable in some ways of course there's there's there are a lot of quantifiable ways you know especially when you look at like conversion rate optimization and you know a b testing home pages and, and different things like that but sometimes brand is like investing in things that um that ultimately give users a sense of of trust and of comfort that are less concrete you know uh, up front but they it's so important and so vital to get right because like you said if they if they don't trust you right off the bat there's no way they're going to invest in a you know uh robust onboarding process or or invest in coming back to the product over and over and and you know that's going to look different for every company and some companies that's being you know almost downright like silly or or you know just showing like a, a really human aspect and so you know when you have alerts in the product or you have you know marketing messages they're they're really clever copy and they're you know witty and and funny and in other ways it's just you know showing up at the level of of professionalism you know there's a company that we worked with um and there was a lot of distrust going on not for any you know particular reason of anything of their fault but like there's just a standard in the industry that they were in that dictated a level of production quality. So one of the things we helped them do is like really, really elevate the production quality in a way that like we did, uh, you know, a, a full video for them on their homepage using, you know, like we built out an entire physical studio to film the video. And it was just clear, like the companies that, that went to that level and that extent, it, it was a fun, engaging, you know, exciting video, but like to, to make that sort of investment in brand, like, okay, you know, it's not, you didn't just slap together a landing page, you know, using bootstrap or something like you've got, you've, you've invested in, you've spent time thinking about, you know, what's going to resonate with customers. And again, we, we include a lot of humans and, and faces and, and, you know, stuff in the video in a way that didn't feel like stock photography in a way that felt fun and engaging and exciting. And I think, um, you know, that's ultimately like, um, a long-term play of, of really doubling down on, on your brand and what, and what you mean um, or what, you know, and I think like you see this as an evolution, like companies that start out often do just short, sort of ship something as quickly as possible. And as they evolve, like brand becomes more and more important. We talked about Airbnb and Apple, like those are, you know, now iconic brands that, you know, people trust and, and uh, you know, have built brand affinity with. And, and so um, it's, uh, yeah, I think that it, everything sort of starts for and ends you know with with that but it it can often be overlooked as just like oh we'll get to that later right that's just like we're not going to spend time on brand we need to just focus on like core kind of user experience but um i think it it can be um, misinterpreted or or underestimated the impact my favorite example of 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 the power of brand is um pepsi and coca-cola um this is separate from tech but the uh yeah they, they've they've blind taste tested the two of them countless occasions, and Pepsi nearly always wins. Yeah, uh, and yet Coca Cola, you know, always always outsells them, always. And it's because of that that the timelessness of that brand identity. It's it's right. the emotional connection that people have with that brand um, yeah. transcends something that's actually should be a better product. You know, I, I find it really fascinating sometimes how branding can actually transcend utility or you know yeah i think it's it's really interesting and i think it's something that needs to be factored in when you're well that's why you can't underestimate the power of brand isn't it totally yeah yeah you want to, really, it's to build that connection over the years like i'm talking about with with a brand like coke 
you know, it's like people actually feel like an affinity and they feel nostalgia connected with that mm -hmm. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a brilliant example. Um, you know, I think on the flip side, like, yes, absolutely agree. And, you know, brand won't make up for a lackluster project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's like shiny and splashy and you're like, this is amazing. And you sign up and you're like, wait, where's the value, right? It goes back to that, like, how do you get people to that aha moment? And so I think making sure that's aligned, you know, throughout and there's that kind of consistency, you know, which is why we often, you know, or almost always now deploy design systems, make sure that, you know, there's there's consistency from, you know, from marketing through product and, you know, those things work in tandem and they're not siloed. We're all about sort of like breaking down those walls um such that those teams are you know aligned as, as kind of like one unified um as one unified team and one vision of like just the customer journey you know it's not about like well how do we market and get customers and then like okay now throw it over the wall and now it's like how do you serve those customers right it's it's what's the entire customer journey and so i think even just doing that even just mapping out there's some resources you know on our site that we have that are you know free to to be able to do that kind of stuff but like just and you can just google there's miro templates there's all sorts of stuff to do customer journey mapping and it's really like understanding at each point of the process when you know from before a customer ever finds you to when they find you to they sign up on your site to you know to, to there like how, how do they feel? What are the pain points they're experiencing? What are their you know, questions, doubts, concerns? And I think so few companies actually like take that entire journey all the way through from start to finish and really think about it and write it down and, and, you know, deliberate over, over those pieces. Um, because yeah, I think, you know, we've seen companies do the opposite where they just overinvest on brand and they, you know, have the best, you know, marketing and the best experience, but like ultimately the product doesn't, you know, doesn't deliver. And so it's, you know, it's definitely a, uh, it's not an either or because yeah, you can have the best product in the world, but if nobody knows about it or doesn't, you know, if they don't trust you enough to even sign up, like you're kind of dead in the water. And so um, I think it's that marriage of of those two, you know, powers coming together. And and that's why, you know, a company like Apple has, has dominated the market because they deeply understand, you know, what resonates and it's often leading with emotion. And, you know, like so much of the marketing is, is less about the, the features, although, you know, they obviously have those in-depth uh, product announcements, but, you know, it's more about like the feelings and the experiences and the emotions, but then the product delivers, right. And it's, it's, you know, it's remarkable um, and, and it's engaging and exciting and, you know, it makes you want to share it with friends. And, and so, I think, uh, yeah, you, you can't just ignore one and, and, you know, um, focus on, on the other and, and, but yeah, I think like there are so often companies, I think that aren't willing to invest in brand in ways that, you know, they, they're doing a, a disservice to themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So this has been great, Evan. Um, I was just wondering if, if we could just round it up then, um, just yeah. three, um, it doesn't have to be three, but can you can you use some maybe some key? I know you said it's really hard to define principles, but let's have a go at it anyway. <laughs> some right, key principles of empathetic design. What would they What would they be? Yeah, for me, it would be always be listening. Um, you know, I actually we usually often say like always be testing ABT, right? It, classic like always be closing uh coffees for closers we you know we're, we just believe like always be testing and what that means is just like always be learning it's just always be shipping things looking for feedback and again that's through a bunch of different mechanisms like we talked about qualitative quantitative you know talking to users getting you know analytics pulling that all together but just just always be learning there's always opportunities you know right now people are coming to your site like what can you be learning from them could you be running an experiment where you have a different headline you have a different button you have you know, just something like it could be minor, it could be major, just there's always opportunities to be kind of learning and listening. Um, I think don't, you know, lean on your assumptions too much and just really, really question that and create the, create a culture, I think, of, um, of encouraging feedback, right? So I think like that, that's super important. Um, so getting out of the office, talking to people, you know, um, and uh, just, encouraging that and helping customers see that you know they're part of your success and the more that you know they help you you'll you'll help them and and so i think like that that flywheel is super important um and then you know i think uh the third point would probably be yeah just really investing in brand and, and humanizing the experience and you know um mapping that that entire experience for for users across um all the touch points and really understanding like what the pain points are you know there's a another example of you know we're working um 
with sort of like a uh, it's in the you know it's a, more of a fintech play, but it's in the loan um, approval and, and disbursement space. And and you know th- just think of all the emotions that when somebody comes there, you know, it's in in homes and 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 in residential homes. And so you know you're thinking of like imagine putting yourself in in the shoes of that user of like they're coming to you they have this dream home in mind they're going through this like approval process and they get a denial right of like nope you're not approved for and you're you're just crushed right and so there's there's a way to kind of come at that of like yep you're denied good luck have a nice day or there's another way to come at it of yeah you were denied for xyz reasons like here's why so you have the context and hey here's the one, two, three, four, five, 12 things you can do about it to, to increase your, your odds of success. And so I think um, in the next time that you apply, right. And so I think like, re- but the only way that you think of that is like putting yourself in the, the user's shoes of what it would feel like, because transactionally it's like, oh yeah, just send them the denial email. But, you know, I think like really helping them understand uh, is, is vitally important. So um, I know that's a long winded answer to your kind of, you know, three points, but hopefully, you know, some key takeaways of things that you can do, but, you know, ultimately it's just, yeah talk to customers if there's nothing else that you take away from this i think like that's probably the, the fundamental thing yeah absolutely i think it's always i think often the the best answers are always uh are often simplest aren't they yeah i think and especially like when you're talking about design so often it's those really smart ideas that we have that that don't go anywhere and it's the yeah. simplest things that make the biggest biggest difference i think yeah that's really cool. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. I think uh, our users are really going to get a lot from this. Our, our listeners are going to get a lot from this. Uh, sorry. Um, are, is there any way if people want to reach out to you for more insights? How should they reach out? Yeah, absolutely. Happy to um, chat. And like I said, you know, now having been an entrepreneur uh, for so long, I just love, you know, supporting entrepreneurs, talking to them, even if it's just, you know, jumping on the horn and, and you know, talking shop about what your challenges you're facing and stuff like with no agenda around us, you know, working together in any capacity. So please do feel free to reach out, you know, it's just Evan at webuild.io um, or, you know, you can just, if it's easier to remember, hi at webuild.io. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find us on, you know, Instagram, LinkedIn. I think we are webuild um, where we, you know, publish some of our, our work and case studies and thoughts. You know, we've got a, a insights uh part of our site, which has an enormous amount of resources, including, you know, like I said, the customer journey mapping and a bunch of stuff where we just publish, you know, free content around this that we've been, uh, yeah, digging into for years to come. But please do, you know, find me on LinkedIn or reach out. I would love to uh, connect and hear more about what you're building. Thanks so much, Evan. It's been great. Likewise. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.